DW Africa Link The year 2023 has been difficult for many economies in Africa. Still dealing with the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, countries in sub-Saharan Africa were hit by a sluggish global economy, worldwide inflation, and high borrowing costs, according to the International Monetary Fund, IMF. Such dilemmas resulted in high cost of living for many people in sub-Saharan Africa. With high inflation and political instability in parts of Africa becoming a daily concern, one can only hope that the situation gets better in 2024. I'm Isaac Mugabe and you're listening to the story of the week on DW Africa Link. But first, Crispin Mwakidewu will bring you the world news in brief. DW News. And I'm Crispin Mwakideo with DW Africa Link News. Hamas officials are in Cairo to discuss an Egyptian proposal aimed at ending the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. It is unclear whether Israel will agree to the terms since the Israeli government has stated that its war aims are to wipe out Hamas and maintain military control over Gaza after the war. Hamas is designated a terror organization by Israel, the United States, Germany and several other nations. Israel retaliated in the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip after its militant launched a deadly attack on Israel on October the 7th. Provisional results from the Democratic Republic of Congo's presidential election show incumbent Felix Shisekedi with a commanding lead. With more than 12 million votes counted, Shisekedi has garnered over 70% of the vote, way ahead of his two main rivals, Moise Katumbi and Martin Fayulu. The two opposition presidential candidates have called for the election to be nullified, citing widespread irregularities and voting extension. The government in Kinshasa has rejected calls for an election rerun. You're listening to Africa Link News, brought to you by DW. Russian strikes have killed at least 16 people and wounded over 100 others. Russia on Friday launched more than 100 missiles across Ukraine in one of the biggest attacks since its invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. However, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky said most of the missiles and drones had been shot down. Here is Ole Kiper, the governor of Odessa, speaking after his city was struck. Today, we recorded 17 victims. Two people died, and this is preliminary data. The rubble continues to be dismantled, and in some places the fire is not yet localized. All investigators and operative groups, concerned citizens and other services are involved to help people as much as possible. On the location, psychological help is provided to all the victims, which is now needed. Maine's top election official has blocked former U.S. President Donald Trump from the state's 2024 presidential ballot. Maine became the second state to block Trump after Colorado's Supreme Court also determined so earlier this month. Maine Secretary of State Shana Bellows said she concluded Trump was ineligible for office because of his attempts to overturn the 2020 election. The Trump campaign immediately slammed the ruling and said it will appeal Bellows' decision to Maine's state court system. And in sports, Real Madrid has extended Carlo Ancelotti's contract until 2026. The move has ended Brazil's hope of hiring Angelotti as the new national team coach. His current contract with the Spanish club Madrid was set to expire at the end of this season. 
Financial details of the new contract were not disclosed. This is Ancelotti's second stint with Madrid. He had previously coached the club from 2013 to 2015, having returned in 2021. Ancelotti has won 10 titles with Madrid, including two Champions Leagues and one Spanish League. For more news and information, download our DW app or follow and like us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. I am Crispin Mwakideo, wishing you a happy new year. Welcome to the last edition of the Story of the Week on DW Africa Link for this year with me, Isaac Mugabe. Coming up now is an economic review of Sub-Saharan Africa for 2023 and an outlook for the coming year. Africa's economic growth slowed significantly due to various reasons. There was political instability in the Sahel region with new military regimes in Niger, Mali and Burkina Faso. Most African countries have been locked out of international debt markets by prohibitively high interest rates since early 2022. For instance, Ghana defaulted and Ethiopia stated that it intends to restructure its debt. We've invited an economist to give a breakdown of not only the developments in these two key countries that are more or less on opposite sides of the African map, but of countries around the continent. But let's first hone in on Burundi in Central Africa, where this year and the hardest ever fuel crisis is gripping. Many people have resorted to walking to work because only very few buses are running and tickets now cost more. Let us take you to a petrol station in a part of Bujumbura, the capital, for a few minutes. A police officer was trying to bring order on hundreds of motorists who are rushing to retank after a lorry unloaded fuel. On the black market in Burundi, fuel comes at high cost. And the fuel crisis has sent the cost of essential products upwards too. Some residents and travelers shared their views. Traveling these days is challenging. There are no buses at the bus stations. And if you get one, conductors set the price the way they want. The trip where I used to pay 650 francs is now set up at 1,000. Besides, they increase the number of passengers per seat. A seat that used to host four now hosts five, and the one that hosted five now hosts six. Once downtown, getting a bus back home is tough. You go here and there for a taxi. A taxi that normally takes four passengers now transports up to 12 persons. Passengers are even put in the boot, and police don't even prevent them to do so. These days, it has been very difficult to move around, especially when there is a fuel shortage. You know, everything has come to a standstill. We can't transport. Even going to work is a problem. So sometimes you have to walk on your way back to work and also from the work to home. Even uh, sometimes get late to work and also take a long time to go back home. So it's really, really hectic and uh, we hope that uh, the government can do something in order to stabilize the fuel and also make sure that uh, the fuel crisis is sorted out so it impacts in every aspect of life. Those were the voices of people in Burundi who are trying to get by as the year-end fuel crisis grips the country. We asked the Trade Minister Marie Chantal Nijimbere how the fuel crisis arose. 
The fuel shortage often happening here in Burundi is due to the insufficiency of foreign currencies. The lack of foreign currencies blocks us from getting enough supplies of fuel that can be used as we wish. The second issue is linked to procedures. We have to be careful to avoid lateness in getting fuel supplies. A procedure should not be late for one or two days. Burundi has faced recurring fuel shortages for at least two years now. Thank you to our correspondent, Apollinaire Niyora, who brought us those voices. Now, you may have heard that further afield in Malawi, there is a maize deficit attributed to devastating cyclones that struck this year. Well, things are looking worse now that authorities have banned imports from Tanzania and Kenya to prevent the spread of maize lethal necrosis. Only processed maize will be allowed into the Southern African country, where UN agencies say almost 5 million people are in dire need of the staple food. Our correspondent in Blantyre, George Muhango, spoke to consumers, farmers and the authorities. This is what Mary Mualino, a mother of three, told him when he met her at a government maize depot. Maize here at Admarks is very expensive. So at least those maize from other countries were a little bit cheaper and we could afford to buy them. And at least maybe stay for about a month without thinking of buying another maize. So with this burning of importing maize from other countries, this is very bad because life will be expensive and you know there's a lot of hunger this year in Malawi and this coming year. So the government should reconsider their decision looking at the situation that we are having at hand. If you just joined us, I'm Isaac Mugabe. You are listening to the Story of the Week on DW Africa Link, and we are bringing you an economic review of the African continent and an outlook for the coming year. Now, still in Malawi, where maize importers and traders are having to cope with a ban on the import of the staple from Tanzania and Kenya imposed by authorities until a risk assessment on maize lithonocrosis can be carried out. Grace Mijigam Hango, the head of the Grain Traders Association of Malawi, says the ban is retrogressive. As an association, most of our members were making plans to import it from Tanzania, and all of a sudden we see the ban. So I'm not too sure whether um, they are doing it really to protect the problem that we're looking at, or it's just one of those, uh, I would call it a trade barrier, because uh, this necrosis issue, we've heard it for more than seven years now. So what bothers me is that do they only realize about the necrosis when it is a food deficit and we are uh, almost formally trying to import. Thank you to DW's George Muhango in Blantyre for bringing us the latest on the ban. Needless to say that Southern Africa recorded the continent's lowest growth in 2023 at 1.6% as rolling power cuts constrain output in the region's largest economy, South Africa. Now, like we mentioned earlier, economic growth in sub-Saharan Africa slumped in 2023 in contrast to what was expected. International monetary institutions like the World Bank, the IMF, and the African Development Bank all concur that the region's economic outlook remains bleak amid an elusive growth recovery. However, some countries like Rwanda, Benin, and Senegal stayed on an upward economic trajectory in 2023. The Accra-based economist, Dr. Michael Ayamga, joins us now for a more thorough economic review of sub-Saharan Africa in 2023 and the outlook for 2024. 
Dr. Ayamga, welcome to the story of the week on DW Africa Link. Yeah, thank you, Isaac, for having me. Now, to set the ball rolling, what is your general assessment of Africa's economies for the year that has just gone by? As you rightly put it, it's a, a mixed bag uh, here. Uh, you have a, a group of uh, resilient economies that have weathered the storm somewhat uh, following the COVID-19 pandemic that uh, hammered most of uh, the continent and uh, uh, reduced growth significantly. Uh, notably, countries like uh, Rwanda, uh, Senegal, and I also think Cameroon have been uh, very resilient. Uh, other countries like uh, the old men, like my own country, Ghana, and big brothers like uh, Nigeria, their inability to uh, uh, absorb the shocks uh, brought about by the COVID-19 residual impact and uh, Russia-Ukraine uh, protracted uh, conflict uh, has meant that the projected groups have been uh, uh, slow and the actual economic performance has been uh, rather uh, disappointing. If you take all these things into consideration, uh, you take the numbers, uh, you have the African continent growing at around 3.8% uh, when it was projected to go up 4%. Uh, so, uh, that is on the average. If you go into the countries specifically, you realize that there are a whole number of uh, uh, underperformers, particularly the big boys that uh, sneeze and the rest of the continent catches cold, like Nigeria and South Africa, that have not actually come to the game. It's been three years down the road since COVID-19 was declared over, and it should be time for a takeoff in economic terms. And you mentioned that some countries like Rwanda, Senegal, and Cameroon improved on their economic situation. What did they do that other countries didn't? There has been uh, some misgovernance of a sort across uh, the continent. And the high appetite for cheap loans that followed the period of growth across the continent, uh, loans from uh, China, especially the uh, Road and Belt Initiative that got many African continents uh, entrapped. And uh, also following the pandemic, after that, many of these countries had to go into some form of uh, internal uh, debt negotiations and the rest. They haven't largely come up. Our continent's uh, economies were already shaky before the uh, pandemic hit and the war started in Ukraine. We were building economies based on uh, the capital markets, the euro bond markets, and the cheap loans that China gave us, of course, uh, with some uh, strings attached uh, to it. We did not actually invest in the productive sectors of the economy. We failed to tap the potential in our youth that gave us a very strong uh, and uh, somehow uh, efficient labor base. Uh, you take uh, my own country, Ghana, for example, and in the period of uh, uh, five years, we borrowed over $40 billion. So more, more, much of the growth we were touting to the rest of the world was largely borrowed, and these proceeds were not invested in things that will allow us to recover quickly. Well, in a moment, we shall talk about your country, Ghana. But the year is coming to an end, and the IMF more recently said marketing financing for many sub-Saharan African countries has dried up or become very expensive as advanced economies, if I may put it that way, have raised interest rates so high. In addition to that, inflation and international investors grew more risk-averse. So, I mean, what can countries do to mitigate these debt dilemmas? Yes, I still think that the African continent 
is largely governed by big states. So you have very big uh, governments, uh, wasteful and un- very inefficient in terms of uh, uh, money for performance. So uh, you have countries that have uh, hundreds of uh, ministers of state, uh, bigger than, uh, 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 larger than countries like the United States. So it has to do with austerity, led by example, that governments would begin to uh, cut their code according to their cloths, not their sizes, and begin to uh, uh, look at raising domestic revenue, sort of pursuing uh, uh, borrowing, uh, stopping inefficient and uh, corrupt government uh, 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 subsidy and direct transfer projects uh, that have largely delivered very uh, little. And then also going after uh, uh, corruption. I think that that has been the key challenge uh, in the uh, continent. Everywhere you go, much of the proceeds from the borrowing has been diverted and has gone into uh, individual hands. And law enforcement has largely been weak. Uh, Our judiciary has not been uh, up to speed with uh, corruption and uh, state uh, mismanagement in our continent. And that is why inflation is continuously growing because after we have uh, been shut out of the international uh, capital markets, we have returned to our own central banks where we are using all sorts of means to uh, do some official financing, to print money and uh, try to finance whatever we want to do with uh, central bank help. And that is why inflation is growing out of uh, control. We haven't also uh, managed to uh, stimulate domestic uh, production and most of our economies are still uh, import-driven, uh, commerce-based. Uh, so that means that consistently, whatsoever we borrow, we use it to subsidize uh, the dollar for importers. And at the end of the day, most of their profits, which is earned by international corporations. Yes, indeed. Cutting one's court according to their cloth, not according to their size. Okay, well, Ghana is arguably one of the fastest growing economies in Africa. Uh, what can then President Nana Akufo-Addo do to improve on it? Yes, yes. I think Ghana has been a, a lost opportunity. Uh, we discovered oil, and uh, you can't believe that in 2011, this is a country that grew by 14%, and immediately following that, we leverage these uh, oil resources and other mineral resources to borrow heavily. And uh, at a certain point in time, we're borrowing close to $5 billion a year. And that meant that uh, our debt levels skyrocket to almost uh, $50 billion. As we speak now, we have to do domestic debt exchange program that has sent the financial sector into uh, turmoil, and uh, we have been shut out by uh, uh, the capital markets. There is no grade left for fit to give us. We have been downgraded until we are rock bottom now, so we cannot be downgraded uh, further. So that is uh, uh, the story of Ghana. It's a lost uh, opportunity. And uh, the city, as I speak, is going around 12 uh, cities to $1 now, and incomes have largely been fixed. That means that everyone on fixed income uh, has to bear the brand because to put it like Ghana is a, a commerce eco- economy. We buy and sell more than we produce and export. So 
when our domestic currency is uh, reducing in value, it means that our, everything on the shelves gets more expensive and out of the reach of the ordinary consumer. That is what has been happening in Ghana here. But Ghana's problem, yes, COVID played a part, Ukraine played a part, but it is a problem that was built with the foundation of excessive borrowing and mismanagement of credit proceeds. If you look at Ghana, the title of our economic problem has been borrowing and mismanagement of credit uh, receipts. Ethiopia became the latest African country to default on its debt, joining Ghana and Zambia. How would this impact its economy and investor confidence in general? Yeah, but definitely there is no blueprint for uh, domestic debt treatment. It is more or less a trial and error uh, thing. There are no very, 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 very many successful countries that you can follow. So anytime you are going on debt treatment, especially in the domestic front, uh, you have your fingers uh, crossed. It's like a cancer treatment, uh, chemotherapy. You don't know how it's going to turn up. And you don't have to do it unless it's extremely necessary. I felt that uh, Ghana could have still uh, perhaps chosen a, a better uh, a, a alternative than going for domestic debt treatment. So as we speak now, confidence in the financial sector is low. The cost of growing is high. Inflation is high. Uh, you look at uh, uh, growth rates, very low. So everything that you require in an economy to boost domestic production is pointing the wrong direction. So there is no way you can talk about uh, uh, growing here. There is a continuous turmoil between uh, the Minister of Finance and uh, uh, what has become popularly known in Ghana as individual bondholders. These are people who have invested in government stocks, pension funds and the rest. All these are earmarked for uh, the domestic debt treatment program. And that means that uh, people are losing confidence uh, in the uh, capital sector. After that, then Ghana has to go and deal with its domestic uh, external creditors. And as we speak now, the country has missed the window for the second tranche of the $3 billion IMF loan. That is because we have not succeeded in reaching an agreement with our external uh, creditors, led by uh, China, who is the single largest lender to Ghana. So you realize that we pursue the path of domestic debt exchange in the hope that it will bring our external uh, creditors to the table and then we can reach an arrangement for us to uh, be able to draw the IMF program in its fullness and then see whether we could uh, revive our economy. That is in danger as I speak, that because we have missed two windows and our external creditors seem not to be convinced with what we have done so far. I must admit that unlike Zambia and the rest, Ghana seems to be enjoying a good, a lot of goodwill. So even though we didn't particularly present any uh, robust and uh, uh, feasible uh, uh, program to the IMF, because of the fears that if Ghana goes down, there will be no example of a democracy in uh, most of the uh, Anglophone West Africa. Ghana seems to be, still be an example of a, a something that resembles a democracy. So you have many of the stakeholders uh, 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 in Ghana's corner trying to call on uh, the World Bank and the rest to uh, IMF to uh, uh, do Ghana some favor. And that is why we even secured the uh, external uh, uh, support in the first place. But as we speak now, we have not been able to translate even that goodwill into practice. We have largely 
taking this IMF uh, proceeds and use them like the way we use the 40 billion that we borrowed from the uh, capital markets. And that is why I think our external creditors are not coming in to play ball and to allow us to go further with our mm. IMF. Let's talk about what's on everyone's mind when Africa does business with China. How would you describe China's relationship with Africa and why are there concerns with the rest of the world about that relationship? Africa's relationship with China is a murky one. It's not clear-cut. You have a, a, at a certain point in time, it looks like it's a, a partnership, a peer-to-peer relationship. And then after you contract the loans, it becomes a boss-servant uh, uh, relationship. And that is what has uh, largely uh, uh, worried many uh, economic uh, watchers, that it looks like it's an entrapment where a lot of uh, very good programs, uh, level uh, playing field is projected. And uh, these loans then are procured by highly enthusiastic African leaders that see these uh, uh, Chinese uh, loans and Chinese relationship as a better deal to what they have been getting from the West over the years, only to realize that uh, there is a side of the story that has not been uh, uh, told. And as we uh, speak now, China remains one of the sticking points in all the countries that are negotiating uh, for debt relief, refusing to either write up debt or to even change uh, uh, the periodization of loan payments uh, without uh, significant changes in the interest. China is not willing to play that ball. So it is a debt uh, we call it debt diplomacy, but it is entrapment that many of us have also had to use very important mineral resources, oil resources, uh, statutory uh, funds to more or less secure these loans. So because we have also collateralized many of these things, they are not available for us to use in development. An example in Ghana is the GET Fund. Uh, you have many of our mineral resources being collateralized to, uh, to take Chinese loans. And China is coming after these resources. And uh, that is why it is not willing to look the other way and give us debt relief. So if you ask me, uh, it is easier to get Chinese loans compared to the West, but it's more difficult for you to... Uh, utilize them and to repay them and africa is learning this the hard way as an economist what is the projection for africa's economic growth in 2024 yes i think it's still going to be a mixed bag uh you are going to have countries again like rwanda uh, senegal uh, Botswana, uh, doing their best and growing uh, quite well. And then you have the disappointing big brothers like Ghana, Nigeria, and South Africa dragging that growth uh, backwards. Yes, we may say that these big brothers have turned the corner. They have money to weather the storm in terms of COVID-19. But if you look at their own domestic problems, Ghana is going into an election which I expect the floodgates to be open, so there's going to be a lot of spending. So we are going to chop in some high deficits in the 
And Nigeria is having its own problems with uh, uh, fake currencies and uh, other internal uh, electoral issues. So you expect uh, that to also dampen some confidence in the economy. And that together with uh, South Africa is still also dealing with some significant uh, energy uh, crisis and also sluggish domestic uh, demand. And now that China is reopening uh, fully to a certain degree, I expect the impact to reduce. But largely 2024 is still going to be a mixed bag year. I don't think it's going to be a year that Africa is going to come out roaring. We are going to have some examples of good governance, good economic performance, and then we are going to see the big brothers pulling the continent uh, backwards. Thank you, Dr. Michael Ayamga, for that insight on Africa's economic outlook for the year 2024. You've been listening to the story of the week on DW Africa Link with an expert analysis of the economic situation in Africa in 2023 and thoughts on what the people of Africa can expect in the new year. 2023 certainly was an eventful year and here at DW Africa Link we brought you the most important stories in Africa and the rest of the world, truthfully, objectively and on a daily basis throughout the year. To our listeners and followers, the team here at DW Africa Link and your Story of the Week producer today, Benita van Eisen, says a big thank you. I'm your host, Isaac Mugabe, and like we say, in my country, Rwanda, meaning, Happy New Year to everyone.